Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And we are finally talking a little bit more in depth about something that comes up all of the time and stuff mom never told you. Sandwiches? Well, man, I wish it was. I wish that we were talking about sandwiches a little bit because sandwiches are a little less complicated than the (laughs) hormone group estrogen. Um, We figured since estrogen comes up so much when we're talking about women, when we're even talking about gender differences in behavior, I feel like estrogen has become almost a shorthand for... Things like weepy emotions. Hysterical uteri. Yes. That float around your body. Yeah. And so we decided that we would look a little deeper into what estrogen really is and offer more of a a broad brush 101. This is how estrogen works. And also get into whether or not that uh, leapfrog from estrogen to women have the craziest emotion swings (laughs) is valid or not. So first up, let's get to let's let's get in front of our imaginary podcast chalkboard. Ooh, can it be a whiteboard though? I don't like the sound of chalk. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we're on one of those whiteboards. Thankfully, a very very quiet whiteboard, <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about what estrogen is because a lot of times we talk about it as though it's a singular hormone, but in fact, no, estrogen is a group of hormones. Yeah, it's like a get together. Yeah, I imagine them as. As the cool girls in the corner of the lunchroom. <laughs> that's how, and that's how I learned science. <laughs> I like it. No, I like it. Well, so first of all, hormones, as we have talked about, are chemical messengers secreted by one tissue that travel via body fluid to affect another tissue. Sex hormones, estrogen and t- testosterone, which we are talking about in these two very special back-to-back hormone episodes, are secreted in short bursts that vary throughout the day, the night, your menstrual cycle, etc. So, as Kristen was saying, estrogen is a group of hormones that get together and have pizza parties. And those hormones include estriol, which is made from the placenta and is produced during pregnancy, and estrone, which is widespread throughout the body and happens to be the only estrogen present after menopause. And then we have one left, Kristen. What is it? It's estradiol, and estradiol is the main hormone in this group. She's sort of the alpha dog, okay, in this this mythical, like, endocrine clique that I have in my brain. And it's produced in the ovaries, and you can thank estradiol for your boobs, your hips, your strong bones, and it also predisposes us to things like endometriosis and fibroids. Oh. Thanks a lot, Estradiol. She is a mean girl. Yeah. But, <laughs> but these, these three hormones do all sorts of things around both the male and female body. It's not just limited to women. Um, and it helps out in our bones, our brain, our uteri, uteruses. I always still, I still say uteri. I've got to stop that. Is that, oh, well, I like it. <laughs> I like it better. But it's grammatically incorrect, that, Caroline. I know. So, U- uteruses. In our uteruses and in our hearts. <laughs> our blood vessels, our skin, and our lungs. So this is a very important 
group of hormones. Yeah, and in men, I mean, men folk out there don't think that you don't have any estrogen. Uh, you do, as a man, make a small amount in your sex organs and adrenal glands, and it helps regulate the fluid in your reproductive tract. Yeah, and when it comes to uh, the potency of estrogen versus testosterone, um, I thought it was uh, interesting that men produce more testosterone than women produce estrogen, but that's because estrogen is far more potent than testosterone. Uh, so what's up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're potent. Um, and, w- and one thing, though, about uh, studying estrogen, because it does so much around our body, and also because there has been a long-standing scientific bias towards studying things like exclusively male rats and male bodies because they don't have these complicated things like menstrual cycles. And science is starting to catch up, but there's still a lot of questions about what exactly estrogen does in our body. But we do obviously have have some knowledge of what's going on. Okay, so one of the reasons that we know all that we know about estrogen today is due in part to, or due mostly to, Edward Soisy. Kristen, is that correct? Soisy. Soisy? Soisy. Yeah, he actually extracted the female sex hormones, estrone and estriol, from urine, from lots of urine. Yes, lots of, they figured out basically that, uh, that there was a lot of estrogen in pregnant women's Urine, and so Edward Adelbert Doisy, enterprising man that he was at a St. Louis University Medical School, said, "Hey, you know what? I really want to isolate these compounds, so I'm going to need a lot of urine." And there was this anecdote that we found in the paper, "The Discovery of Estrone, Estriol, and Estradiol, and the Biochemical Study of Reproduction: The Work of Edward Adelbert." published in the Journal of Biologic Chemistry in 2002 that talked about how this poor driver had to bring over these vats of urine. And um, I'm just going to I'm just going to read from the paper Uh, while making collections of urine. He committed a traffic violation and the policeman who glanced in the back of the car and saw the bottles with amber fluid thought that he had caught a bootlegger. Obviously, this is happening during prohibition. He couldn't he would not believe the driver. So he was invited to get in to sample the amber fluid. After pulling the cork and sniffing, the cop said, My God, it is urine. Your job is bad enough without getting pinched for it. Drive on. So urine not only helped us isolate these hormones, it also got this driver out of a traffic violation. Maybe that is, uh, maybe that's a note to self. Well, that, yeah. Keep urine in your backseat. That takes care ticket. of a lot of things on long road trips. Yeah. Take care of, you don't have to stop for bathroom breaks, and you can get yourself out of a ticket. Yeah. The things that we learn. (laughs) So, um, different levels of estrogen in our bodies affect us differently. So, what happens when estrogen levels fall? Why, what causes estrogen levels to fall in women? I mean, they differ from, you know, as we get older, especially as we enter menopause, but there are also particular conditions that can lead to lower levels of the hormone, such as hypogonadism, hypopituitarism, that's that's hard, that's hard, pregnancy failure, perimenopause, and menopause, so perimenopause is leading to menopause, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, 
anorexia, extreme exercise, certain drugs, and it, your levels of estrogen change post-birth and during breastfeeding. So there's a lot that's going on with your hormones all throughout your life. Right. And that's a good point to to bring up the perimenopause and menopause because obviously that is when uh, the body stops producing uh, the estradiol and the estriol will also be gone. But like we mentioned, the estrone will stick around post-menopause. And one thing that we're not going to get into on this episode, just because it is it is such a large topic, almost too big to tackle um, in this episode, is hormone replacement therapy that has come under a lot of scientific scrutiny because when women were going through menopause because of that drop-off in estrogen, uh, there were a lot of negative side effects. So hormone replacement therapy was giving women um, this uh, these jolts of estrogen to, to I guess, to what, like alleviate mood swings and hot flashes and help ease them through the great transition. And uh, they've actually found that because of things like increased risk for heart disease and breast cancer that can come along with elevated levels of estrogen, uh, that the hormone replacement therapy is not uh, as common as it used to be. Has it been phased out completely? No. my I just remember when my mother was on uh, hormone replacement therapy, estrogen therapy, and I just remember when all of that stuff hit the news because mm-hmm. her doctor took her off of it and tried to find some different different methods. But she's she's always hot. Like, she just never stopped having hot flashes after menopause, which must be miserable. I know that whenever I go home, I have to put on a sweater. I'll tell you that much. Because it's chilly? Because it's chilly. Um, now, one thing that I mentioned as far as estrogen levels dropping that I thought was interesting um, was the whole, like, working out and losing weight thing can really throw your hormones into a tailspin, whether you're a man or a woman, depending on estrogen, testosterone, whatever. But women with low body fat often don't produce sufficient amounts of sex hormones. And so many elite athletes, you know, like you, I, I've heard about this with uh, gymnasts in particular, but like many elite athletes experience a cessation of menstruation and end up developing osteoporosis. Well, it makes sense because um, on that on that end of the spectrum, because estrogen, some estrogens are are stored in our body fat. When you don't have body fat, that can tinker with things. But then on the opposite end, when uh, you're dealing with obesity, you have an excess of you can have an excess of estrogen production that will also throw things out of whack. The, the balancing act of these hormones, right. Caroline. It is. Well, uh, an article in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in May 2012 found that weight loss among overweight and obese women could help lower circulating estrogen levels linked with increased breast cancer risk. Why? Just because what Kristen was saying, fat cells secrete estrogen. And so the more weight we're carrying around, the more estrogen is being released. Yeah. And the, and that breast cancer risk um, is so so tied to estrogen because the estrogen actually stimulates or can stimulate too much cell division in the breast, therefore increasing the chances of cancerous mutations like tumors. And since we're also talking about some of the downsides of estrogen exposure, uh, we often hear about osteoporosis risk increasing in menopausal and postmenopausal women. And that's because estrogen has protective effects on bone health. But then when that drops off with perimenopause and menopause, uh, then that uh, heightens your risk of, of bone of bone loss. Oh, dear. I'm, I'm clutching my she bones is. now. Drink your milk. <laughs> my mom was always very insistent about me drinking my milk as a child because yeah. 
Because of those things. Because of being a lady. Yeah. Well, I don't actually like milk too much, honestly, anymore. I don't drink it anymore. But I drink it every night with dinner. Yeah. So maybe my bones are just like paper now. I don't know. (laughs) Paper tubes inside my skin. Um, There's also a lot of research going on to look at estrogen's role in the brain, specifically with our working memory, because some doctors want to know why Alzheimer's tends to affect women more often than men, and they wonder if it has to do with estrogen. Again, kind of like the, with the osteoporosis effect as we age, um, estrogen being good for our working memory. There have actually been some studies saying that, like attributing estrogen to women perhaps being a little bit better at multitasking, also comparing it to uh, substances like Ritalin. And meth. Yeah. Meth. Meth, yes. <laughs> yeah, we're a little meth meth machines in here. It's like breaking bad inside of our bodies. Um, and so they're wondering with the, the drop-off in estrogen production, if perhaps that might have to do with the uh, the gender difference in Alzheimer's, which is something we have not talked about on the podcast. No. Hopefully I can remember to <laughs> put that on our to-do list. So yeah, this uh, Kristen sent me this, this article uh, talking about estrogen affecting our concentration, our memory, our moods, etc., it was in Scientific American. Couldn't stop reading it. Actually tried to send it to some other people in the office. They didn't care. But <laughs> so in this article, UC Berkeley researchers were, found that women with lower levels of dopamine struggled with memory tasks. But when the test was repeated during ovulation, when estrogen levels are higher, these women did much better. Those with naturally high dopamine, however, did worse during ovulation. So it like pushes people over the edge into a different concentration category. But it's again, it sounds like it's uh, the study would suggest that, again, we have that issue of balance where it's Mm -hmm. like too little and too much is not optimal. Right. So Emily Jacobs, who's one of the study authors, said that for women with the highest dopamine levels, ovulation seems to take them beyond a threshold and impair thinking. And so that's what I'm going to blame my space out moments on. I'm sorry, I just have, I'm ovulating. I have way too much dopamine right now. I just can't even listen to what you're saying. But I do know that I, for some reason, want a baby <laughs> right now. A baby and a brownie. Now, speaking of, uh, we're, we're making some fun of uh, the latest but crazy one, the babies. Um, it's so estrogen and emotions. This was one thing that I did want to look into. And it's actually the, the behavioral impact of estrogen is something that scientists have been looking into for over a century. So we've had this notion in our head that there's got to be some, something inside of ladies that's making us just be be ourselves, be our wonderful our wonderful selves. Um, and so the notion is that you know that that estrogen makes women crazy, but that's actually Crazy, because when you think about how estrogen is released, both estrogen and testosterone is released in the body. In uh, it's produced in these periodic bursts that vary from hour to hour, day to day. So it's not like we have this sudden onslaught of estrogen that just a big throws, waterfall, yeah, a gushing waterfall that throws everything out of whack. And there was um, a study published uh, earlier in 2012. Um, and the study title is Estrogen Impacts on Emotions, Psychological Neuroscience and Endocrine Studies. And the 
conclusion of this study looking into the the correlations between estrogen and emotions in women specifically is that it's complicated. Yeah, there seem to be just a lot of attributes as far as estrogen uh, treatments and depression and, and how it affects all of the, the stuff going on in your brain. And a Chinese analysis of a whole bunch of studies uh, found that estrogen can influence emotional behavior and processing, but it varies depending on the person. So self-rated depression scores among women with depressive symptoms are reduced, they found, by administration of estrogen. Yeah, a lot of times they'll find that uh, that, that typically like estrogen will, a, a surge of it, if you give someone some estrogen, then it tends to temper your mood in a good way. So why is it, some people have wondered, when girls go through puberty, and obviously like the body starts producing this sex hormone, does the rate of anxiety and clinical depression skyrocket for girls and women? And uh, this is going to come up, too, in our episode that we're going to do after this on testosterone, is that the relationship that we have between estrogen and depression, the same way that we think about testosterone fueling aggression, uh, is often a little bit backwards in our brains. It's not the estrogen that is necessarily causing that kind of emotional downslope. It is most likely because estrogen tends to increase our sensitivity to cortisol, the stress hormone. So we're a little more primed in a way to negatively react. Yeah. It actually interferes with serotonin. And researchers found, you know, shortages of serotonin during that stage in life can lead to fatigue, anxiety, and other symptoms of depression. And I thought it was interesting. Um, there was a study in a journal that I can't pronounce. Kristen. What is it? Psychoneuro. Oh, yeah, okay. Psychoneuroendocrinology. Yeah. It just looks so long. Caroline, but I got it. it. You got it? I got it. All right. So this was back in 2008. Uh, researchers found that SSRIs might work better in the presence of estrogen. So depending on if you have more estrogen or testosterone, different antidepressant or anti-anxiety medications might work better for you. They found that Zoloft, for instance, produced no effect on female rats that didn't produce estrogen. Uh, it helped depression-like symptoms, however, if it was accompanied by estrogen treatment. Psychologist Susan Kornstein, in addition, found that men and postmenopausal women, so people with a lower uh, estrogen level, respond better to antidepressants that target dopamine and norepinephrine. Hmm. Which norepinephrine always makes me think of norephron. <laughs> but anyway, that's sort of... <laughs> it regulates that norephron <laughs> in your brain. Um, well, speaking, though, of, of men, I feel like we've covered a lot of our estrogen bases. Basically, estrogen is a group of hormones. It is three of them. We have these receptors in our bodies that uh, receive the hormones that will do things like stimulate secondary sex characteristics such as boobs. And also, uh, it has an influence on our emotions, but maybe not as directly as we think stereotypically of, uh, you know, the, the whole like roller coaster thing. And there are also some some downsides and some upsides because these hormones, you know, need a, a nice balance mm-hmm. inside of the body. And as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, men 
Estrogen is not just for for women. You make it too. Estradiol coming out of them testes and your adrenal gland. So that's what it does. That's how estrogen works in like giant broad brushes. Yeah. Well, you know, we wanted to bring it up just because we reference sex hormones all the time. All the time. So just to just to give you a little overview. Yeah. And um, what we didn't talk about very much was um, also the association between estrogen, testosterone, these secondary or these sex hormones, excuse me, and gender constructs. But that is something that we are going to get into more in our next episode in which we are going to tackle how testosterone works. Does it really turn us into agro bulldozing muscle machines? Find out on the next episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You. And um, if there was something about estrogen, I, like like I said, we didn't really go in depth on menopause, hormone replacement therapy. That is something that we will revisit in the future in uh, in depth a little bit more. But uh, if there's anything regarding estrogen that we didn't touch on or that you would like to know more about or have some experience with, let us know. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. And before we get to... Our letters in this listener mail segment. Well, we've got a couple of letters here in response to our episode on the friend zone, uh, because they just keep coming. The friend zone is just, it's, it's happening everywhere. And this first one is from Keegan, who writes, it's taken a while, but I have to say I'm finally figuring out how to talk to girls. Personally, I feel like I've gone through many of those types of friend zones. For the longest, I couldn't figure out why I had so much trouble with relationships or the lack thereof. And after talking with some girls, I came to the conclusion that I was that guy who took too long to make my intentions clear. Unfortunately, by this point, and he's in college now, I'm friends with 99% of the girls on campus, so any chance for a relationship is dead and gone. As for that 1%, I hate to say, it's the one girl that I am friend-zoned with, and I just can't seem to figure out what to do. We met during a weekend field trip and have hung out consistently since then. Yet she's had no intention of dating me. Like you said in the podcast, she was completely oblivious to my feelings. And when I finally confronted her about them, she brought a swift hammer down to crush them. As she said, she simply didn't find me attractive. Many closer friends say she's not worth it and I shouldn't bother. But I try to see the good in people. So here I am asking for your advice. Should I even bother? If so, is there anything I can do? The feelings were strong, but they're gone now, and I just want my friendship back. So he's saying that he wants to repair the friendship. It's fine not dating her. What do you do? Well, you said that she crushed you, like with a hammer. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't sound very friendshipy. So, I mean... You know, I think you and I have been on both sides of a, a friend zone equation, and you have to decide if it's worth it, I guess. Uh, yeah, and I think you have to be real honest with yourself about why you want that friendship back. Yeah. Is it because you really want that friendship, or because you miss their company in that way that made your heart flutter a little bit when you saw 
them. Yeah. And if that's the case, then you got to give yourself more time. I think it sounds like it's still fresh. And if all he says that all of his friends are saying that she's not worth it, then you also should listen to your friends. Your will, friends know what's good for you. Yeah. I'll say nine times out of ten when my friends have said, don't do it, and I've done it anyway, I should not have done it. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, the hard truths. So that's that's what we got for you, Keegan. I know it's not it's not super easy, but hey, you know what? There are always there are always new people, new friends to make. That's right. So maybe do that. Yeah. Well, here's a letter from Adam, and he's here to say that friend zoning is equal opportunity. All right. As far as sex roles go, let's hear it. So Adam said, "I loved your podcast on the friend zone, and I'm here to say men do indeed put people in the friend zone. I also think I can give some advice for friend zoning." Almost immediately after I sense romantic attraction, whether it's really there or not, I try to spend less time with that person. While this may seem harsh, it helps create emotional distance to ensure the appeal doesn't intensify and also to avoid the hurt feelings that can occur from a friendship damaged by a one-sided attraction. Even though losing a friend is always tough, I believe it is a better option than expecting a platonic relationship from someone who wants more. I hope, he says, this helps anyone who has felt alienated by such messy cross-gender interactions. And I have to say, I think it's funny that this is his advice because so many of those dumb advice columns on the internet were like, distance yourself to make yourself more attractive. Right. (laughs) So be careful what you wish for. And thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And thanks to everyone who's written into momstuff at discovery.com. And you can also head over to Facebook and start a conversation there. Like us while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. You can also have fun on our Tumblr page. You can follow us at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you would like to get a little smarter about estrogen and all sorts of that fun sciencey stuff, why don't you head over to our website? It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.